Sports Ethos New York Knicks Podcast, Andre Gallagher, Game 2, a unmitigated disaster of a performance by your New York Knicks. Not so much they lost the game, as you know, it was a tough game going in. You knew the Cavs were going to be physical, you knew the referees were going to back them up. But there were some strategic changes in this game that the Knicks did not adjust to very well. And I fear, and I don't want to be, you know, uh, negative Nancy, but it's a few things I just didn't like. Like, For example, let's just run them down. Darius Garland in game one wasn't a huge factor. Some of that, you get, you know, nerves or, you know, Donovan had it going, took a back seat. Darius Garland... If you watch the games throughout the season, the games the Knicks won, coincidentally, Darius Garland had a lot of little pockets where he seemed to know exactly where to get his shots and where to set set people up for shots. And the Knicks, you know, timely stops here, timely stops there. But as a process, they were always able to kind of get what they wanted. And that scares me. It should scare you as a fan because it's not like they did a whole lot different in game two other than focus on Darius Garland a little bit more. And Garland being that aggressive is a problem. You started game one with R.J. Barrett on Darius Garland. And listen, we're going to get into R.J. Barrett in a minute. But R.J. Barrett didn't necessarily do a terrible job. It's just that he can't guard him. It's just, you know, it's, it's one thing to be a bad defensive player and always be out of position and, and not have the proper effort and not have the proper technique. He was energetic. He was there. He was doing his best and he made some good plays a couple times, but he can't guard Darius Garland. That's the problem. And you're trying, you're trying to hard, you're trying to hide Jalen Brunson and not have him on Darius Garland, but you know, you're doing it with RJ Barrett and it's kind of like, huh? And they got away with it in game one because Garland wasn't very aggressive, but and the way they come off those screens, the way he comes off those screens, he, he comes off those screens very, very hard. And he's a good, such a good passer. He only had one assist in game one. He just didn't, you know, the the Cavs were kind of shell-shocked in game one. And they shouldn't have been. It was a bad sign overall for them. But in game two, they were much more comfortable, and he was much more comfortable. And I don't see what changes strategically the Knicks are going to implement uh, going into the rest of the series because I feel like they should have done it already because Garland had success doing a lot of these things throughout the regular season. And they just, you know, when you play drop coverage, which is the Knicks' main pick-and-roll defense, when you play drop coverage on a guy who's a three-level scorer who's playing aggressively, it can be a little bit tough. It can be a little bit tough to stop. You know, one of the things that they were doing, some of the things that they were doing on Donovan when he used screens, I felt like it was good defense and Donovan was taking and making some some really good shots. Of course, there were some mistakes here and there, but they were all over him. They were blitzing. They were switching. They were switching it up. They're going to have to do that to Darius, too, and I'm wondering, I'm wondering how they're going to approach game three and stopping Darius Garland because Darius Garland is an excellent passer. If you don't. If you don't make him make the tough pass, they're going to burn the Knicks all night long because Don, Donovan's going to be sitting on the weak side. Darius is going to make a pass if you blitz him. If, if you don't make him make a tough pass, that ball's going to find Donovan and nobody's going to be able to stop Donovan in space rotating defensively. Nobody. 
So that that scares me. Pretty much the only two things the Knicks can really do is just switch up on the screen defense on Garland, just like you're doing with Donovan. It's the only thing they can do, I feel like. Because Don, if he comes out just as aggressive, he's going to he's going to murder the Knicks. He's going to murder the Knicks in transition. He's going to murder the Knicks on screen offense. And that's without even passing the ball to one of the more unguardable players in the league in Donovan Mitchell. So I'm hoping the Knicks, and the Knicks have not shown, and, and I shouldn't say that because they switched it up on Donovan, but they have not shown that they will consistently switch up their pick and roll defense historically, and when I say they, I mean Tibbs. Now he's, and I've made this point before, he has adjusted a couple times this year on certain players in certain situations. I'm going to be very curious if you see the same drop coverage on Darius in game three that you saw in game two. I'm very curious about that. I'm also going to be curious if RJ is going to be on Darius again. And this is a good segue into RJ who not only is he having a terrible series, his effort is there, mostly. But he's being clowned by the Cavaliers. And I've criticized RJ, most criticisms that I see. I just don't like when people overstate things. But the specific criticisms of RJ are, are very legitimate. And listen, the Cavaliers were clowning him. Donovan Mitchell scored on him late in that game and came back to the bench and called him a bum. Didn't even say it to him like on some trash talk. Said it to his teammates. He's a bum. That hurt my heart. That hurt me. Man, if I saw somebody say that about me on the court, boy, a bum he called him. And that's where RJ is right now in the eyes of his opponent. A guy who's trash. And we ran down the stats a couple episodes ago. RJ has been trash for this team. And I talked about it going into the series. RJ has to play less minutes in this series unless he's playing better. He has to. And I don't think I don't think that that Tibbs has been overplaying him. I think he overplayed him a little bit in game one for a couple minutes. I think some of that is unfair because he made a couple bad plays and it was like, oh, you should have taken him out. But he, you know, I get it. But he, his minutes have to be dramatically reduced if he doesn't come out in this game three and be solid. And and you can't expect him. And here's where things are unfair. You can't expect him to to you know score ten points in the first quarter. It might happen, but the, the way the Knicks run their offense, he doesn't always get those opportunities. So, But you have to expect him to take advantage of, of the opportunities that find him. That's the problem. He doesn't take advantage of the opportunities that find him. And I said this in game one. If they stop trying to close out on him, then you can forget it. The Knicks are just not going to score enough when he's on the floor. And the Knicks are not shooting any shoot well in game two. Quentin Grimes are not playing well. IQ's not playing well. And we'll come back to that. When the ball gets, when the paint, the paint is is clogged up and that ball hits the perimeter, you got to knock shots down. RJ is just not doing it. If he's not doing it and if he's not attacking closeouts and scoring efficiently, then he is not giving you anything while he's on the court. You understand? He's not giving you anything while he's on the court. 
if those things are not in play. Now, maybe the ball should find RJ in transition a few a few more times, you know, instead of in transition, in secondary transition, I should say. Transition, they're terrible. They're a terrible fast break team. They make terrible passes. But in secondary transition, RJ is very good coming down court. Maybe they should get him the ball the way Josh Hart gets the ball off the glass and brings the ball up court. RJ is not going to get the rebound that often, but he should get the ball in secondary transition and see if he can, can kind of find his way to the front of the room where he can be effective. In the half court, the way they're packing in the paint, the Knicks collectively are a terrible weak side passing team. So when they get into the, when they drive the ball and they get three, four people surrounding them, especially big, tall guys, long guys like Allen and Mobley, they have a hard time making that read to the other side of the court. You saw Darius Garland pick off IQ a couple times. They've been picking on IQ all series when he gets into the paint and his inability to make a good pass. Uh, a good weak side pass. They've been picking on the Knicks all all series long, and their inability to make those passes. So, bottom line, you, you're always going to give RJ a chance. He's going to start. Probably, I don't think Tibbs is going to pull him. He's going to start. The series is one one. I, I just, even though he made a big change in the Atlanta Hawks series a couple years ago, that was a change that just had to be made. You you're putting in. Uh, Derrick Rose, who was playing amazingly in, in, in for the Knicks that year, that was an easy call to make, right? But I don't think he's going to bench RJ. So, But RJ's minutes, they're going to have to be limited. And you might see you might see Miles McBride make an appearance in the series just to slow Darius Garland down and steal some possessions. You, you just might. Right, so I, it's just very disappointing. I see a lot of people saying RJ is, you know, his his future as a Nick is going to be decided in these next few games. I think the problem with that is with this new contract. I mean, sure, they'd be happy to package him away to get something else, but you know, his value is very limited. <laughs> he's at he's he's at negative value right now. So. Talking about the future as a Nick, uh, I think he's going to be a Nick because his value is trash. I think everybody should stop focusing on his future as a Nick and start focusing on this game three that they they have to win. And uh, I'm, I've always said that I like RJ's makeup. I think he's made for New York. I think he's made for the Knicks. Um, he's about to make me a liar if he can't if he can't step it up if he can't make plays. He's gonna make me a liar. This is where this is where you make your name. If you're built for the city, whatever you're going through, you're slumping, your finger and he has a finger injury, whatever the hell it is, you better find your way, find your way through it. And step up for this team. And it's not always gonna be scoring, but it's definitely it's definitely going to be on defense, rebounding, in transition, and taking advantage of the opportunities that are given to you and the team, especially in transition. He is, him and Julius Randle are the two worst transition players in the league. Why Why are we so nervous when the Knicks have a fast break? Why are the Knicks the only team that can't get a bucket on a fast break? I swear they're the only team in the league. Three on one, three on two. Most teams in the league, they get a bucket. Except for the teams that, that go to the three-point line. Most teams in the league, they get a bucket. Why can't the Knicks get a bucket? I don't understand. And RJ and Julius, they are the worst. They are the worst. And teams know it. That's why Donovan ate up RJ in game, was it? What game was it? It was game two. He 
he ate up RJ on a fast on a fast break where he knocked the ball off his leg. Ate him up. And no, no, that was game one. That was game one. Ate him up. Darius Garland ate him up, I think, in game two. Ate him up. Guess guess right on what he was doing. Actually, no, that was on Julius Randle. Guess right on what he was doing. Julius didn't really catch the ball properly and he telegraphed the pass. It's like it's like uh it's not something that's going to be fixed because that's there's something wrong with their wiring. Their fast break wiring is off. They're just not naturally fundamentally sound. Julius Randle and RJ are just not naturally fundamentally sound basketball players. I think that's the issue with them in general. That's why Julius can be double teamed and the Knicks can not get clean baskets out of it. That's why I hate that Mike Green keeps saying that Julius Randle makes the right read all the time. That's a lie. I guess he's just regurgitating what the coaching staff is telling him because they have to feed his ego and not, you know, some things you keep in-house. But that's not that's a lie. He does not he does not do it. <laughs> he does not handle the double team properly. Not by any stretch of the imagination. RJ has shown in the last month or so he still doesn't make the right play as often as he needs to, but he does it way more than he was earlier in the year. All right. But, but they're just fundamentally they're just not very sound players. And and here's another thing. Neither is Mitchell Robinson. Mitchell Robinson doesn't know how to position himself to to present himself to the ball when when his man is is paying attention to someone who's penetrating or posting up like RJ tends to do and Julius tends to do. He doesn't present himself to the ball and find little little uh creases so he can he can get a dunk. He doesn't do that very well. Most teams they get a dunk. The center the center sitting there paying attention on the strong side. They they get themselves open on the weak side and they get a nice little strong finish. That's not Mitchell. Mitchell's not doing that enough. So is listen, these are flaws that this team has had all year long, and they've won in spite of it. Of course, the playoffs is going to shine a light on it. I don't think they're in a situation where they can't improve because at the end of the day, the Knicks winning and losing comes down to Jalen Brunson. And I've made that point all year long. I made that point on Twitter. You can you can credit Julius Randle for the season he's had, but Julius Randle could have had the same season and the Knicks would have finished 10 games under 500. And I'm not putting that, that albatross on Julius Randle that he's not a winning basketball player and all that kind of stuff. He doesn't make winning plays all the time, but I'm not going to put that on him. He's not consistently a winning basketball player, but he has been for most of the year. His effort has, for most of the year, since like December, has been there more often than not. His mindset and his energy and his game theory has not always been solid, but that's kind of nitpicky. His shot selection hasn't always been solid, but that's kind of nitpicky. But because of all of those things combined, he is not the difference maker for the team. Not this year. The difference maker is Jalen Brunson. Jalen Brunson is the reason why the Knicks have a chance to win every night, and he has been all year long. Jalen Brunson came to this game, too, and did not play well, and he was taking bad shots. All right? I, I respect the confidence you want. You know, you don't you miss a couple shots. You don't want to get shy. But listen, let's not just pull up for three when you've been missing your 10-footers. Get yourself in the paint. Collapse the defense. If you don't have your shot, then you spray it out to somebody else. Don't don't just keep shooting, shooting, shooting. The ball doesn't touch anybody else's hands. Anytime that Jalen Brunson is not on, and it hasn't been often this year, he's shooting 50% from the field. 
Anytime he's not on, you see everybody starts getting all mouthy and chatty about him being a ball hog and he shoots too much and blah, 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 blah. I'm not, everyone's saying Jalen Brunson has to get other people involved. Jalen Brunson has to get other people involved if he is not making and taking the shots that he needs to take. Okay, that's when you start getting everyone else involved. Oh, I can't hit my little floater. Okay, let me start getting in this paint and see if I can find somebody open. Okay, that's what he needs to do. It's not his sole responsibility to get everyone else involved, and let me explain that. I understand he's the point guard, but you need to understand this is not how he's played all year long. He has not played to get everyone else involved all year long. He has been this player all year long, and this is why the Knicks have been good. People are bringing up the Donovan Mitchell example of how Donovan Mitchell got everyone. Donovan Mitchell didn't get everyone else involved. He just didn't shoot. There's a difference. There's a difference. He wasn't handling the ball the whole time and getting everyone else involved. He just did not play aggressively and shoot the ball as often as he was in game one, which was a good adjustment and strategy for the Cavs. Jalen Brunson could do the same thing, but don't expect Jalen Brunson to all of a sudden become John Stockton. He hasn't been that all year long. And the Knicks haven't needed him to be that all year long. They needed him to be who he always is. All right? But if he's missing his shots, there has to be an adjustment. And that's what it's all about. If, you, if you're going to miss your shots, and you've seen that most of the year, when a couple games here and there, when he's not been on, first of all, the Knicks have a really hard time winning that game if he's not on. All right? But he'll kind of reel it back a little bit, and he'll get into the teeth of the defense, and he'll start looking looking to pass the ball. The problem is, and game two brought that to a head, no one else is playing well. RJ's not playing well. Quentin Grimes is not shooting, not even shooting that much, and so he's not playing well. IQ is not playing well. So when you guys are talking about getting other people involved, he's doing the same thing he's always done. Yes, he took a couple bad shots that you wish he didn't take, and he was a little too aggressive, but he didn't shoot every single possession. The ball was finding other people. They just weren't making plays. They weren't making plays. It looks like he's getting other people involved when they're making plays when the ball finds their hands. It doesn't look like he's getting other people involved when the ball, number one, doesn't find their hands because Julius Randle is shooting or R.J. Barrett is shooting. And number two, they don't do anything when the ball does find their hands or they missed a shot. So I think you kind of have to, you have to, I, I understand the, the lane that you're in when you're saying when Jalen Brunson is not playing well, but you want Jalen Brunson to be the Jalen Brunson he has been all year long. Don't ask Jalen Brunson to be Charlie Ward. All right. That's not how this works. Jalen Brunson has to be Jalen Brunson. Does he need to make an adjustment here or there when he's not making his shots? Yes. Okay. Does he need to get into the teeth of the defense and not just rely on jump shots as often as he did in game two, especially when they weren't going down? Yes. Does he need to know that the Knicks, if they're struggling offensively and he's not hitting his shots, that the shot to take is not a pull-up three in transition? Yes. But that's the NBA today. Julius Randle does that too. That's why you can't. Trust. That's why you can hear me list his name about getting people involved. Because Julius Randle does not necessarily play well with others because he wants to isolate all the time. Even when you kick the ball out to him, a lot of time he wants to isolate. He won't shoot the catch and shoot. A lot of times he'll wait for the defense to jab us up and then shoot. Even though he took a nice catch and shoot in game two, 
he needs to relocate more. A lot of times he doesn't relocate. He, me- he meanders around the mid-range when when the passes are made to uh, the weak side. He meanders around and doesn't relocate. Uh, that's that's always been a bad habit of his. He needs to space the floor more, and he needs to he needs when he's on the weak side, and he needs to focus on that. He can't meander around the mid-range not with Mobley guarding him. And Allen being in the paint all the time. Okay, so Julius Randle, who is the 26-point-per-game scorer, the all-star, and he's coming off injuries, etc. He has to pick up the slack, too, and be aggressive offensively and not just take you know, deep mid-range fadeaway. It's something he stopped doing all year until the last month of the season. I don't know what the hell that's about. And he needs to stop forcing threes, even though that's part of his game, and he does that all year long, too. But he really needs to focus on getting himself to the rim. And there's a couple times in game two where he did do that and just didn't get the call. He had a Charles Smith moment in that game. He was definitely fouled by Garland early in that possession. Listen, they weren't going to get many calls. You don't like how things turned out. But you have to normalize the process of getting to the basket, getting to the front of the rim, and making them make a play. You have to. And I know you have a defensive player of the year candidate in Mobley. You got Jared Allen down there. Yeah, that's that's pretty much the bed you made. Like you, this, is the, this is the bed you made. You have a non-shooting center. This is how you play. You have to make it count. You have to get to the front of the rim. You cannot get into this mid-range fadeaway habit, just hoisting up threes habit. You can't get into that. Now, Julius is going to take a bunch of threes a game. We know that. You don't mind Jalen Brunson. Jalen Brunson shot 40% from three. You don't mind him taking threes. You just want to normalize getting to the front of the rim and letting that ball get out to the three-point line. That has to be the focus. And it's going to be hard because the Cavs know your game. They know that you have R.J. Barrett on the floor who can't shoot. All right? They know that every player on the Knicks has trouble making weak side corner passes, weak side passes in general. All right, they sit. They, they sit on a weak side and zone it off and, and read your and read the eyes of the passers because they're not great passers. Randall's not a great passer. RJ's not a great passer. Julius, I'm sorry, Jalen Brunson can make that pass. But like I said many times, when he gets into the paint, he's shooting. If he's making it, great. If he's not, he has to switch up, still get into the paint, and then kick the ball out. And then he's got to make people pay. And listen, I'm putting a lot. I'm RJ Barrett is RJ Barrett. Okay, we don't know what he's going to do, how he's going to do it. You can't depend on him. You know that at this point. Quentin Grimes, he needs to step up. You can't have a situation that you have with him right now where he's barely getting any opportunities. He's not making his shots. He has to be more of a factor. Some of that is is on Jalen and Julius to swing the ball to him when they don't have a shot instead of taking a bad shot especially Julius, same thing with RJ Barrett. But they have to make plays. Like you can't you can't have two games where Quentin Grimes barely makes any plays. You can't. You can't have it. If you're going to be that guy for the Knicks and you got to you got to step up. You have to you have to take advantage of the opportunities that find you. And you saw Quentin Grimes start to do that towards the end of the year and he regressed in these first two games and you expect that in his first playoff games you expect it but now he has to grow up. He has to he has to make these plays. He has to hit. And you saw him take a couple of his normal shots in, in game two. He just didn't hit them. And they were way off, by the way. But he's got to drive the ball. He's got to create. He's got to be in the same bag that he was in at the end of the season. 
Got to. Or the Knicks are just not going to win. They just not. They can't win. It, you can get into the weeds with Brunson shot selection and Randall shot selection. They cannot win. And R.J. Barrett is this R.J. Barrett, and Quentin Grimes is this Quentin Grimes, and then last but not least, I.Q. is this I.Q. And I've said this all year long, and I don't want to pick on I.Q. because I love the kid. But you guys have overstated to a degree how good he is because he's not always the best version of I.Q. And that's okay because he's young and he's learning. It's okay. And I want you to understand that that's not really a criticism to make that point. You, many of you, Nick fans, need to understand it, though. I saw a tweet, and it was sarcasm, it was a joke, but I I need to I need to use it. I, I don't think the tweeter, it just doesn't even make sense to, to give him credit. I don't think the tweeter was doing anything but just being funny about how bad the Knicks were. He said, the good news is... IQ is leading in plus minus with a minus seven. Why that's really funny to me is all you hear when it comes to IQ, before IQ's offense turned up in December, and we ran down the numbers where where his averages and his shooting percentages all went up after like December 20th. Everything that everyone looked at was IQ's net rating, and I'm not dismissing it. I'm not. But... When you're shooting 30% from three, 40% from two, and people talk about your net rating as a reason why you should be playing 48 minutes a game, there is a disconnect between your understanding of the stat and your understanding of how to put the stat in context. Yes, he's a benefit to the Knicks while he's on the floor. But just having him on the floor doesn't mean the Knicks are going to win. Because you need things from him, and sometimes you don't get it. If he's on the floor, you're going to need some things from him to win these games. And when a guy comes off the bench, and he's playing against the bench of the other team, and he's a good player, and IQ is, you expect him to outplay the other team more often than not. The Knicks have a good bench. You expect their bench to outplay the other team more often than not. And IQ has he has been a great benefit to the Knicks defensively almost since he's been here as, as a Nick. And his rookie year, he was outstanding shooting the ball. And his second year, he wasn't. We talked about that a million times. If he is not playing well offensively, he, he still hurts the team because they depend on him offensively. They depend on him being 40% from three, 15 points per game. They depend on it. And if he's not doing it, don't tell me about his net rating. I don't want to hear it. I don't want to hear it because you're not putting it in the proper context. Because if, if he was in the game, when he's not playing well, all right, when he's not playing well, the Knicks are st- they're still losing. He's, oh, they're not losing by as much. Like, okay. You can't tell me that you can put the IQ that we've seen these first two games. And some of you calling for Jalen Brunson. That, oh, we didn't need Jalen Brunson. We got IQ. You can't put the IQ we saw in these first two games in the starting lineup and say, oh, the Knicks are going to be fine. No, they're not going to be fine. No, they're not. The problem is 
RJ and Quentin Grimes aren't playing well either. If they were, he'd be playing even less minutes. Because you cannot have IQ out there as a backup point guard, a six-man-of-the-year candidate, playing the way he played the first two games. You can't have it. You can't have it. He is not going to, oh, IQ can start for every team in the league. He is not that player if he's going to play like that. He is not that guy. And my problem with the, the conversation surrounding IQ is that a lot of times you see IQ, and I don't think this is a bad thing. I think this is a good thing for an NBA player. He is, he is very opportunistic with his offense. Very opportunistic with his offense. And when he starts making shots, he gets a little bit more aggressive, and that's when you see those big games. He doesn't always just beat people. He doesn't beat people and create offense every night against every opponent. And, I'm, of course, I'm, I'm being hyperbolic a bit. But consistently, you don't see it every time. You see it against Boston. You see it a, a, lot, of, a lot of times. But when teams say, oh, we're going to take away this thing that you like to do, he doesn't have a whole nother thing to go to. He doesn't have a counter. All right, we're not going to let you sit around dribbling around in circles until you can get a one-step floater in the paint by, against a, a point guard. No, we're going to wall off this paint and take that away from you. So now you've got to make something else happen. And so when teams do that, IQ doesn't always respond. Not without dominating the ball, he doesn't always respond. And again, he's a young player and he's still getting better. But stop this conversation where you keep building him up into something that he has not shown himself to be consistently. The game is different when you can scout somebody, take away the things that they are good at. The game is different for a lot of NBA players. All right? IQ has to be aggressive offensively, but he also has to find ways to create offense for himself and others. He hasn't even come close to that in this Cavaliers series. I ain't seen IQ do anything but get bottled up every time he tries to do anything off those screens. Every time. I'm not going to talk about the fact that every time he comes off those screens, it's almost every time he's going to the right. It's almost every time. It's almost every single time. He's not getting anything out of it. The Knicks are a poor screen and roll team to begin with. Okay? And he's not getting anything. He's not gaining any advantages off their screens. And when he doesn't, he has to be off the ball. He has to be off the ball. And you have to set him up. And I've said this all year long. You set him up. Get him the ball. Open shots so he can attack hard hard closeouts. And he's been effective consistently, consistently at that. So who's going to have the ball? Well, it has to be has to be Brunson. If it's not Brunson, it has to be Grimes, who is very good coming off the screens, and you hardly see it all year long, and you're still not going to see it because if you haven't seen it up until now consistently, you're not going to see it in this game. That's just how Tibbs rolls. He is very good attacking downhill and creating opportunities for other people. 
He is very good at it. So when you struggle to score, he should be a guy that you look to to create opportunities and quickly is just as capable of hitting open shot as Grimes is. Stop force feeding quickly on these high screen rolls when nothing's coming out of it and he's getting bottled up. You hear Tibbs saying all the time coming into this playoffs, he says, do the things you're good at. Do the things you're good at. Well, when you see him get bottled up on those screens, he is not effective. So take him off the ball, put someone else on the ball, have him off the ball so he can be effective at at what we know he can be effective at consistently. And you saw a little bit of that game too and he didn't hit his shots. That's fine. You need to see more of it. And once you get him going, he gets into a rhythm, then he kind of becomes that player that everyone thinks he is because he turns up the aggression. And he was more aggressive in game two. He just didn't hit his shots. But he turns up the aggression and he starts to attack with confidence. You don't see as much of that hesitant, apprehensive, um, when you jump around in circles and I'm going to get a step on a guy and then I see help, so I'm just going to back it on out. Be aggressive. That's what you need. Josh Hart's going to be Josh Hart because he's fundamentally sound. Brunson got to make his shots, but he's going to be himself because he's fundamentally sound. Some of these guys are a little bit shaky on the fundamentals, and this is why fundamentals become important. Because when teams start taking things away, you have to have a counter. Like, I've seen that before. This is what you do in this situation. I'm getting double and triple teamed, and I can't find an open person. Why? Why is that the case? That's because... Not only is the guy with the ball in his hands may not maybe not a great passer, but the 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 other guys are not reading the cuts and they're not reading the lanes to present themselves to the ball, which is again it's fundamentals. That's Randall's piss poor at it. RJ's piss poor at it. I think Grimes is too shook sometimes, too nervous sometimes to make those reads. I think quickly is decent at it, but he's not going to cut to the basket very often. But I think quickly is even a little bit shaky. That's why Iheart was pissed at him. On that turnover where he cut to the basket and he cut the cutoff. Like, that's a no-no. Some teams have a no-no on that. You don't cut to the basket and cut it off and then go back. You're setting yourself up for turnovers. You you have to follow it through. Because the passer, he sees a lane he's going to go with. He's going to throw that ball. Unless you give him some kind of signal it's going to be a fake. Maybe one step. Maybe you have like a one step or two step max where... It's like, I'm just going to take one step and jab step and come back. But once you start two, three steps running in direction and then you start to start going back on a back door, a player like Arnstein, he's throwing that pass. It's a turnover. And he was pissed off at IQ off that because that's a no-no. That's something that they have agreed on. You don't do that. He's nervous. He's apprehensive. And you hate to see it because that stuff doesn't go away very easy. Maybe a home crowd can help. But that stuff doesn't go away very easy. Now, you saw a go away for Darius Garland, who was kind of like that in in game one. Hopefully, you see Grimes shake that off and you see IQ shake that off because those are the two guys where you can see the nervousness, almost the nervousness. You can almost see it in their eyes. You can almost see it in their eyes. Anyway, big game tonight. I'm going to be there. I'll be at the game. My wife's taking me down there gonna be a good time got my nick gear on i'm gonna be loud i'm drinking drinking tea with honey getting my voice right because we're gonna be screaming and yelling i'm sitting behind a bench so i'm gonna be doing a little coaching tonight 
I'll do a little press conference after, win or lose. You can put a little bit of weight on me if the Knicks lose this game because I'm going to be – I'm shouting out instructions. I'm going to be coaching them up, coaching them up. This is a big game. They need some leadership out there. I'm stepping up. Stepping up. You're welcome. Check out sportsethos.com. Follow at sportsethos on Twitter, at ethosnicks. Until next time.